We're going to dive in this morning into Ephesians chapter 4. Next week, we're going to be in the fifth commandment. But this morning, we want to just talk about just, you know, being connected. And uh, I'm going to spend most of the time in Ephesians chapter 4. So let me start by reading that passage from God's word. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might also fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the winds and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for just what you're doing in our church. I thank you for the ministries that are here. Father, for the people that are serving so faithfully, for the celebration that we can have this morning. Father, for those that are here with us this morning, I thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. Father, principles that are so practical, so applicable to to life today. Thank you for teaching me. I pray now that you speak through me, Father, that your spirit would speak. Father, help us to hear your heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the traits that people have commented on that are kind of a unique American trait that defines our culture is is one that people sometimes refer to as rugged individualism. You know, we are individuals as Americans. And that has a lot of benefits. I mean, it's this rugged individualism which was at the core of driving people to leave the familiarity of their home and the comfort of what they were raised with, to be able to not only come to America, but then to leave and to settle out west and to establish new towns. It's this pioneering spirit that causes Americans to invent things and to to start new things, to take risks. So there's a lot of things about that that are wonderful. But while this rugged individualism has some wonderful traits, not everything about it is good. See, some have talked about this and reflected on how it's really created also a culture of isolation and loneliness. The fact is we are more isolated and more lonely than most other cultures as well. If you were to look historically, not only in the past, but even around the world in other cultures now, what you'll find is that In most cultures, people find their identity far more in their family and in their connection to a broader community than we do as Americans. Well, we're about ourselves, our individual. And even that plays over some into issues of faith. So when we talk about our Christian faith, we talk about our personal relationship with Christ, our personal walk, our personal devotions. We stress this personal side, which is part of the faith. But we have to ask, is it, maybe unbalanced, emphasizing this personal at the expense of this broader picture of how God wants us to be connected to a a community, to a whole. I read something a while ago where somebody was even talking about how you can look at our homes 
and you could see something about this, this isolation and individualism, even in the way we build our homes. If you go back 100 years ago, you would find that many homes were built around a large front uh, porch because people would, would you know, have dinner and they would go out in the front porch and there would be close to the sidewalk and afterwards people would walk and they would just stop and talk and build community. That was what was normal. Well, homes haven't been built like that for over 100 years. You see, we don't have front porches now. We have backyards, backyards that are protected from people. And then we fence our backyards to make sure that no one gets in. And not only that, but people comment, say, when you think about it, instead of a front porch and our, dro- or, uh, our front door, we now have garages. And, and we build garage door openers, and they're kind of like remote-controlled drawbridges. You know, we have this castle, and we put up a drawbridge, and we pull out, and don't have to talk to anybody, put it back down. You know, we, we go out, and we don't interact. And this was a problem in the culture generations ago. This is part of what America has been. But it's gotten worse even in the last few decades as we've moved into the technological age of TV and then cell phones and, and social media. So now we have friendships, but they're virtual. You know, we, when, in our friendships, we don't share our real self. We don't share our struggles. We put out pictures that are our best self. We have Facebook friends, electronic friends. And, and at the end of the day, we can go through our day, have very little real interaction with other people. We drive into our castle, put the drawbridge up, drive, you know, put it down. We go inside, lock our door, and we isolate with our screens as we substitute sitcoms and social media and, and, um, and, and relationships there for the flesh and blood relationships that God has created us for. Now, if that wasn't even a problem enough, then you say, then we've had, in the last 18 months, we've had COVID and we've had the lockdowns and, and these things have isolated us all the more so that that becomes normal. Now, I can spend time and many books have been written on this as a, as a broader cultural issue and how do we understand it and the impacts that it has. But I want to do this morning is instead look at a narrow focus of that of what does God's word say about this? You see, how should we understand our rugged individualism in the context of what God calls us to in a relationship with him and and what a church should be? When we think about social media and friendships there and the isolation of COVID, how does that all align with, with God's design for us and for our health and our spiritual growth? You know, in the past, every once in a while, I'd run into someone who would say, well, I don't really have a church home and and I kind of hop around churches, or I don't think I need to go to church. Or some people would say, well, my church is, I stay at home and I watch it on TV. You know, I've got this, this preacher I watch on TV, and that's all I need. And, you know, what's amazing is that during the lockdowns, what, became, what was the exception kind of became the norm. Because for, I mean, literally for a while, for months, all of us, all we had was the screens on our TV or computer, and that's how we did church. And, and some became very comfortable with that. And, you know, some of us couldn't wait to get back to in-person worship and we wanted to dive in. But some people, it's like, I've got people, it's like, and I like kind of going to, like, going to church in my slippers and I like being able to pause you and to be able to go get to something to eat in the middle of the message. And, and, uh, and some, some of us, it's taken us a while to get back. And even if we've come back, Maybe beforehand we came early and we were involved in a community group and we came out Monday night or one of the nights and we're involved in a men's group or women's group or maybe we're involved in a ministry before and we were serving and we just kind of got out of the habit of doing that. And, and meanwhile, well, we're coming, but we're not as involved as we were before. 
Now, I want to tell you, I could address this issue from a standpoint of church mission and what we want to do and how we need volunteers, and, and that's all important. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to instead look at it and say, what does God's word say, not only about the health of the church, but the health of our own lives, the health of our own soul? You see, when you look at everything that the Bible teaches about the church, what you find is it consistently teaches that we need to be connected with each other. We need to be connected in community. We need to be connected in communities where we're interacting, where we're sharing real life, where it's not just pictures on Facebook, but we're talking about the good and the bad and the hard, and we're crying with people. We need to be connected where we're serving together, where we're interacting, where we're in investing together with people in things of eternal value. In fact, you see this throughout the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 is the very first picture of the church. The very first picture, the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit comes, and, and you have Peter preach a sermon, and then you have the first description of what it meant, what, it, what the church looked like. And what you see isn't a picture of individuals, but of community and connectedness. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds of all as any had need. Now, basically, it's saying they were involved in each other's lives. They were meeting needs, but they had to be sharing the needs. People were aware of needs from each other, and they were engaged in each other's lives, meeting each other's needs. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. So they were meeting together. They were being together. They were eating together. They, it wasn't just Sunday morning, show up for an hour. No, they were, they were being community. They might say, well, that's, that's the very first picture. That's where they started. They needed help to get started. Well, look at throughout the whole New Testament, and you see this is repeatedly stated. In fact, let's go to one of the last books in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. And you have the writer of the book of Hebrews saying, this is needed not only to start, but it's needed all the more as we go on. All the more as you see the culture becoming more hostile. All the more as we get towards the end times. Look what it says. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as at the habit of some. Now, he's saying even back then, some people were getting out of the habit of it. But instead, not neglecting to meet, but encouraging one another, being involved in each other's lives so that we can encourage. And this is all the more important as you say the day drawing near. So my friends, this is important. This is vital. This is essential. This is part of what it means to be a growing follower of Christ. Now, I want to take that idea and go to one other passage where we're going to spend the rest of our time, and that's in, in what we read earlier in Ephesians 4. And what it talks about is not only being involved, but in context of being involved in serving and recognizing that we, that we have something to offer. And it talks about this idea of gifts, that God gives gifts, and these are gifts that he gives by grace. Look at verse 7, if you have your Bibles open, Ephesians 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I want you to ask a question first of all. It says that grace was given by God. When you think of God's grace that is given to us, what do you think of? You see, I think for many of us, if not most of us, when we think of God's grace, what we think of is God's grace that he shows in saving us. The fact that we were sinners and that he, by God's grace, Jesus died on the cross to save us, to forgive us of our sins. 
He doesn't give us what we deserve, but he gives us grace, the promise of eternity in heaven. In a sense, you could say that when we think of God's grace, we think of primarily more negative terms. And by that, what I mean is that we think of God's grace in the sense of the negative things that he removes or protects us from. So by God's grace, he removes our sins. By God's grace, he not only forgives us our sins, he removes the stain of sin. He makes us whole. He removes all that would keep us from God. He removes our punishment. And while all that is true, it's only part of the story. Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit bringing us to Christ, but the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to Christ is only the beginning. In fact, you go to Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, and Paul says, no, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing for us our inheritance. And what it's it's teaching here is this idea that God demonstrates his grace not only in what he removes, but also what he gives. Not only the negative thing that he takes away, but positive gifts that he bestows upon us. So that's a truth that too many Christians miss. You know, we can only understand and embrace the part of God's grace, and we may believe that, well, we've been forgiven, and we've been saved, and it makes us a child, and, and one day, you know, we're going to have the full benefits of that when we go into heaven, and, but that's one day. That's not the here and now. No, but we have to realize, no, God's grace isn't what he's, just what he's done and what he's going to do in heaven, but it's the fact that he gives us new identity. He gives us gifts now. He bestows positive things. You know, I think of, I, I didn't plan this, I didn't have the, the words up here, but I, I love the song that you all did earlier. And, and Stevie, you're drawing attention to those words because that's what it is. It's this celebration, not of God forgives us over sin. That's wonderful, but these are the positive things that he says. I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am saved in Jesus' name. Highly favored, anointed, filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. Those are wonderful statements of the positive things that we have. That's what we have in Christ. And so when you look at what he's saying here, he's saying that's what God gives us. It's grace that not only saves us from sin, but empowers us to ministry. And it's saved from sin to a better life, to a life that matters of significance. And part of that is even being used of God. Now, I think a lot of us have a hard time with that. Because we have a hard time really accepting and receiving grace. Even when we talk about gifts. You know, in our human relationships, there's no such thing as pure grace. We, we struggle with this because even in our human relationships, that doesn't work. I'll give you an example, and you all can relate to this, all right? If my wife gives me a generous gift... Part of me is thinking, oh, I must have done something good. You know, I, 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 that's an affirmation that I've been a good husband. Why? Because if I've really been screwing up, if I'm in the doghouse, I'm not getting any gifts. I'm not getting anything. You know, I'm, get, I'm getting a cold shoulder. The fact is, is that, is that there's something in us that says that even a gift is something that we have done something to earn. And so when God talks about his gift, we think, no, what, what have I done? And well, I haven't done it, so I'm not deserving. How could God use me? And what God is saying here is that, no, that is grace, just like it says in Ephesians 2, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. There's nothing that we can do. So the same thing is true here, that these gifts are God's work of grace. It's not by works. It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we're good. It's by grace. In fact, look at the picture that he gives in verse 8. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He's he's painting this picture of of, uh, this 
what people then would have understood, a king that would have gone to battle, and after defeating the enemy, freeing captives that have been taken captive by the enemy, he comes in for a parade, and in that parade, there's the giving of gifts. And the gifts that he's talking about is that God gives us the spoils of Jesus' victory on the cross. And here's the beautiful thing about this picture. Paul changes what you would expect him to say. So usually what would happen is the king would come back with his army and they had won the victory for the people. They had paid the price. They had taken the wounds. And so the people come out to celebrate the victorious army and they come and throw gifts to the army. They say, thank you for buying our freedom. And they're throwing gifts to the king and to the army for what they did for them. But this passage changes the picture. You see, it doesn't say that God came and we throw him gifts. It says that God now comes in the parade and he throws us gifts. See, usually it would be, well, the king, they're the one that paid the price. They're the one that took the wounds. They're the ones that deserve the reward. And here we are, we're the people, we didn't do anything. We didn't accomplish it. We're the ones who have been set free. We're the ones that have been fought over. We're the ones that were held captive that have been set free. Here's the picture. God says, that's true. Yes, we were held captive. And at the cross, Jesus Christ defeated sin and death. And many of us knew what it was to be held captive. We were involved and engaged in various addictions and things that we couldn't free ourselves from. And so here God has set us free. But instead of saying, God coming and saying, okay, I want you to now give me things. I want you to pay me. I want you to do. God says, no, I'm going to go with this parade. And as the conquering king, I'm going to give you the gifts. You don't give me the gifts for thank you. My victory is so great. What I accomplished is so great. The spoils of victory are so great that I'm now going to give you gifts. You had no role in the battle. You didn't do anything to do it. God bestows it. And it's not only that God bestows one day in the future in heaven. God gives us these gifts in the here and now. These are things that he has given us. Now, here's what it means. See, a lot of times we think, well, I can't, God can't really use me. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I don't really. And we think that we really don't have anything to offer. You don't know the failures. You don't know my weakness. You don't know my, you know, my scars. And God's saying, no, I use you for the same reason that I saved you. It's not, all you do is you come and you bring your brokenness and your need. You come humbly before me and I'll use the most unlikely of people. I want to use you. I want to bless you, not because you deserve it, but because that's how I'll express my grace. Now, Paul anticipates an objection because some people would say, well, I kind of understand that. I know God gives grace gifts and, and there are certain people that were in the parade, you were in the front of the line. But you know, if you, go, you know, if you ever go to like one of those games and they got the t-shirt shooting things for baseball games or whatever, and it's like if you're sitting up on the nosebleed section, they never get to you. They don't ever shoot that far. And you're like, man, I was in the back of the parade and they were throwing gifts and, you know, I just got a little tiny thing. Not, not much made it to my back row. You know, it's the pastor and the leaders. And okay, well, let's look what he says about that, about pastors and church leaders. And, and who gets the extra grace? Look for verse 11. And he gave the apostles and prophets and the evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. He's saying, yes, God's called me to be an apostle, and he's given the church apostles and, and pastors and teachers. When it says shepherds, that's, that's a pastor. And he's given that. But these are not different gifts in the sense that they have more ability. They're different in degree, not in degree, but in type. And, and when you look at that, it's, the key is that these are doing something different. See, it's not that God has set these apart because they're more important or they're more talented. 
He set them apart because by their very nature, their support role. You see, God is saying this, that, okay, I've given people to do gifts of ministry, and, and, and specifically the pastor, his job is to equip other people so they can be more effective. Now, the common objection I hear a lot of times is, again, I know that, but, you know, but, but this, the pastors, you, you all have been given the extra grace of ministry. God has given it so that, you know, that as a pastor and the elders, and boy, you guys have more than what you know, it takes. I don't have that much. But again, look at verse 11. Look what it says. It says there's extra grace, but I want you to see who gets it, right? He gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Why, does, why, why are there as a pastor? You know, my job as a pastor, God is giving you extra grace, and I'm the means that he gives you the extra grace. He's saying, okay, if there are people that are in the front of the line, as you guys are in the front of the line, and part of my job as a pastor is to make sure that you're getting what God's trying to throw to you. That, that basically what he's saying is when you look at this, instead of, of you know, uh, God uses pastors, uh, in, in, instead of saying, okay, it's the pastors that have more, no, instead, God uses the pastors to give others extra grace for equipping them in ministry. In a sense, if you want to understand our role, you know, our role is kind of the um, support desk. You ever get a gift and you're like, man, it's a great gift. I have no idea how to use it. So you call support, you know, how do I, how do I turn this on? How do I do that? You know, and they, and they call it, well, here's what you do. And that's what a pastor is. God gives you the, you know, I'm not sure what my gifts are. Okay, call the support desk. How do I help you figure that out? I'm not sure what to do this. And you might be doing something for a while. I'm not sure how to deal with this problem. We'll call the support desk. That's what we are. You know, one of the things that I, I, I think about ministry, I will, every week pretty much, you know, I get, get a phone call. Some, you know, I'm witnessing to this person, and they ask me this question I'm not really sure to do. Or, you know, I'm working with the kids or with the youth, and I don't know how to deal with this situation. Or, you know, I'm teaching a Bible study, and I'm not sure how to answer this passage. What does it mean? Or I want to teach, and I don't know what to teach on. Um, you know, I want to start a ministry, and I don't know how to proceed. And, or I met a new visitor on Sunday, and they have this need. You know, how can we help them? And, and people ask that all the time. Now, some people would say, oh, I wouldn't ever call Hashcube because I don't want to bother you doing the important thing. My friends, that is the important thing. That's, that's what I'm here for. That's what he realizes that I can go out and be doing all the ministry and it's going to be limited to what one person can do or I can invest in 400 people and when you've got 400 people doing ministry, a whole lot more is going to be done. And so my job is to say, okay, God has put me here as support personnel because you have extra grace and I'm one of the means and the other pastors here on staff, we're here to support you, to empower you. To see, and that's part of what this ministry fair is. We're trying to say, okay, we want you to know what's here. We want you to see these opportunities. How can we help you find a place where you can plug in? If you have questions, if you look around and you say, there's a ministry I'd like to do, we don't have it. Well, come and talk to us. We can say, how do we help you start it? We want to do more things that we can imagine. If you say, I'm not really sure I know how to do that. Okay, well, how do we equip you? How do we train you how to do that? See, that's what God has called us to do. Now, even as I say that, you say, okay, now that's part of accomplishing our mission, to know Christ, his life-changing power, to make him known. That is part of it but it's more. You see, we're not doing this primarily just because we want to build the church or we want to kind of get more people. That's part of it, but that's not the main. When you look at God's word, what does Ephesians say? Does it build the church? Yes. But beyond that, we do it because it's how God grows us. It's how God grows. God's grace gifts are for, not only for the benefit of the church, they're for our own personal good, for our own personal growth. 
You see, God isn't just giving us these gifts so that we could use them for his benefit. It's not like, you know, you think of a, you know, the ultimate, you know, bad things that a husband's do. It's here, let me, you know, here, my wife, here, let me give you an exercise machine. You look a little like, you know, that's a bad thing to do. You know, just, you know, here, let me do this that you can serve me. That's a bad thing to do. No, we give gifts that are for the other person's benefit. See, God isn't a selfish gift giver. And while it furthers the kingdom, you see, it's also how it grows us. Look at what it says. If you have your Bibles, verse 13, Ephesians 4. Why? He's given pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry until we all obtain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness. What is the purpose? That we would serve together so that as we do so, we grow up. We become mature like Christ. We're no longer like children. We're no longer vulnerable, but we become strong. And so that it's, and what, what does it say? We are the ones who benefit. Verse 15, rather speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of Christ. When we do this, we grow from whom with the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. My friends, that's what you want to see. I want you to see is that why are we doing this? Because when we let God work through us, he works in us. This is not only something that we're saying, hey, we're trying to build a church and we're mission and boy, I can twist your arm and try to guilt you and say, you need to do this. And yeah, it is mission. It is, we want to reach the community. But beyond that, I'm going to appeal to the ultimate, I'm going to appeal to the, the motive that God gives us. Do it not only for the benefit of the church, but do it for your own growth. Do it for your own happiness. Do it for your own maturity. Because the more that you can, are connected into a group where you're going deep with people and you're connected into a ministry where you're serving side by side, that's when we grow up to be the mature person that God called us to be. That's when we become strong, when every joint when is equipped. Each part doing its word properly makes the body grow. We build each other's up. So I want to encourage you. Look ask. If you're, if you're involved, great. Then how do we can turn and encourage and support you? I want to be involved. If you're not, how do we help you find a place to be involved? How do we help you to find the group, and a place to serve, a place where, where you're part of this body, where you're experiencing the full nature of the blessings that come with being part of the body, as it speaks of and teaches throughout the New Testament, what we see here in Ephesians chapter 4.